5th edition Dungeons & Dragons is easily the largest tabletop role-playing game in the scene. Its presence gave rise to many other games with varying degrees of difficulty to compete with it. This week on Schedule for Launch, join me, Zach Walsh, as I talk with Ken, aka Squid the Dude, from Solar Studios about their 5e integrated game, Red Sky. Embark on a sci-fi adventure and set a massive spaceship as one of six original species combined with their six complete classes. It's all happening right here on Schedule for Launch. Welcome to Schedule for Launch, a podcast to discover the projects that you may have missed. This week, I am really excited to be joined by another wonderful creator and part of a larger team himself, Ken Squid the Dude. Thank you so much for joining us on Schedule for Launch this week. Hi, Zach. Thanks for having me on. I am super pumped to be talking about Red Sky. We've been trying to set this up since I think November. Part of that's my fault because I I think I accidentally flaked on you twice, and I'm going to fully admit that. I'm I'm super sorry. I'm going to say that live on air. <laughs> well, it's all right. We've been uh, just getting our um, shipping together in the past few months. I mean, PAX definitely uh, wiped us for a solid week or two there, too. So, Yeah, I remember you mentioning just... Before we really kind of get into things, how did PAX go for Red Sky? I think it went rather well. Um, we didn't have a booth, but we were doing, uh, as many people called it, uh, guerrilla marketing, where we were just kind of walking <laughs> around with our advanced copies of uh, the Red Sky game, and we got to meet some wonderful people from it. Um, just pretty much everyone there, especially the other uh, 5e creators, were such kind people and just so ready and excited to be like, oh, wait, I think I've seen you guys online. Um, we actually had someone even offer to do like a book trade uh, with us. <laughs> Unfortunately, we couldn't so take cool. him up on it, but uh, oh, yeah, well, it, it, it went great. That's rad. I'm so glad to hear that. A lot of you who may be listening have probably seen Red Sky. It did fairly well. On, it. You guys did really good on Kickstarter, if I remember correctly, for, for the yeah. size of the team. And it's so cool. The, the art is so good. <laughs> oh, we are we are so lucky to have the art director that we have and to have worked with the artists that we have. Um, he's, he's not here with me today, but uh, Matt is our art director. He has been in this uh, scene for a long while before um, he joined the team and he just does amazing work. He's done like official Wizards of the coast and other company work too. So, mm-hmm. you know, uh, it, it definitely makes us look a lot less like, uh, you know, five or six dudes in a trench coat. <laughs> Well, let's talk about one of those dudes first. Can you tell the audience a little bit about yourself and what you do at Solar Studios? Absolutely. My name is Ken. I am, uh, you know, my uh, our titles are a little fluid sometimes, but uh, <laughs> I am one of our content officers. I believe our chief content officer. I'm also the project manager for uh, Red Sky 5e. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've been in charge. Uh, mostly in charge of, you know, getting these things going. You know, we, we all have our responsibilities. I've done a lot of the uh, lore and rules writing, um, mm-hmm. even though the final copy was written by our head writer, uh, Tyler. Um, we were all working together. It's all been a, like, intertwined project that, like, yeah. we really couldn't have done it without of each without each other. Um, so I now, currently, I'm writing the modules for uh, Red Sky, because we had promised, I believe it was nine modules uh, for people to play to in. Me. And uh, so we've already cool. fulfilled our first one, and uh, we're almost on our second. Uh, the first one is Into the Shield Woods, which I think we actually do have for sale for $5 now. If you're a backer, you'll be getting it for free if you haven't already. Um, 
and the current one that we have is um, Into the Red Desert, I think is the title that we're going with. That excites me. Uh, so I, you, I know that you said you listened to one or two episodes, and I devour desert and tundra content like it's my day job. So I well, that might be something I pick up because I know that my players like that kind of stuff. You'll definitely enjoy both of these. Uh, Into the Shieldwoods <laughs> is um, takes place at the cusp between like the frozen plateau tundra and like the um, I guess European esque like heartland of the human territories. Uh, and you are uh, hired to possibly prevent a war if you so choose. Oh, um, and it's kind of an open world style module where you got to find the clues. Mm-hmm. Uh, and survive, you know, various blizzards and those who might want the war to happen. So part mystery, part um, adventure. I love it. The following module, um, which hopefully will be actually out by the time this episode is out, uh, will have you traveling across one of the most hazardous regions in our game, uh, the Red Desert, uh, where these monsters called Strigoi that are essentially, think, uh, uh, the Xenomorphs, if they could fly (laughs) you're hitting all my like check boxes on yeah so you're gonna be flying you're gonna be driving around there in uh in uh sand ships powered by elder tech uh trying to find uh i'm I'm not gonna give away too much of the plot but trying to find some things that uh were taken from you um in a little bit of a mad maxi style you know desert wasteland racing vehicles and uh surviving flying xenomorphs that's so cool and terrifying. Can you mention that you're part of Solar Studios? Can you tell us a little bit about who Solar Studios is, how they came, to, how you all came to be together in creating Red Sky? Absolutely. So Solar Studios is a team of six people. Uh, we recently just brought on another person. Uh, it was five people for a little while. Uh, but it is a game development studio, uh, ind- ind- independent. Um, basically, we all kind of got together and decided that we wanted to make games. It really did all start with Red Sky. Um, four of us w- all lived in the same dorm together. Uh, so oh, cool. Alex, Tyler, Brandon, and I all lived in the same dorm in college. And that's how we got to know each other and how we all get to meet Alex in the card game he was making. Oh. Um, which plays a lot like um, Commander. Not exactly, Ah, but it's where part of the idea came from. Um, And then we brought on Matt as we were getting all that together, decided to make 5e. And now we've recently brought on uh, Sarah uh, to help out with our marketing because, you know, that's something we need to do. Um, (laughs) But yeah, so we've been working at this for three or four years now. um, And it's been a huge passion project for all of us. It's like everyone's second job. Um, you know, we all have our day jobs taking care of different things, but it's really a huge passion project for us. And we're so like, we're so happy. It's where it is right now. I can't believe we're going to be, uh, you know, we're going to be, uh, shipping out and, you know, holding the books by the time this episode goes out. But, uh, where we're at right now, I think it's like next weekend, but they should all be getting in. Yeah. I was looking at the updates earlier and I'm, I'm so excited for the people who back this project because it looks incredible. But we've been skirting around it for a little bit too long. Ken, can you tell <laughs> us about what is Red Sky? What is this game? So Red Sky, uh, in its current state, is a 5e conversion. Uh, we call it total conversion because we have stripped all the magic and uh, out of uh, 5e. 
and put in uh, science fantasy. I like to call it uh, science fiction pretending to be fantasy, but I guess we're going to be technical. <laughs> it's science fantasy. Uh, so the world of Red Sky, um, if you pick up the book, you'll obviously get all our rules, which has four unique classes, uh, five unique species, as we call them, mm-hmm. um, and a re- and complete redo of humans. A new look at um, alignment system that's more political philosophy rather and moral philosophy rather than you know arbitrary good and evil. Yeah. Um, and so and it goes to level ten because uh, it takes place in like the Iron Age and you know no one has magic so it's going to be really hard to fight a dragon. Uh, you better yeah. load up on some elder tech. But the world <laughs> um, is t- all takes place in a giant world ship uh, where the kind of remnants of humanity have uh, decided we're going to figure out like what the best type of society is. And we're going to run all these simulations inside our world ship as we're going between space. Uh, And whoever we think works out best, we'll leave behind on a planet. Mm -hmm. So everyone inside of the world ship who isn't like these humans, uh, the overseers um, don't know this. They just think they're living in a world that, you know, this is what the world is. Yeah. Uh, So it's a huge experiment. Um, you can kind of play it in either a Truman show esque type thing where like the overseers are really watching what you're doing, or you could just, you know, kind of ignore that sci-fi side of it and just kind of revel in an iron age world with, um, left behind, uh, features of, um, uh, instead of magic, we have these things called elder elder tech, which are, um, basically just any scientific, like high sci-fi, mostly unbreakable item left behind that you don't really quite know how it works, but, mm-hmm. There are so many cool little things that happen, but you mentioned something that I think a lot of people would kind of feel a little intimidated by if they're converting out of 5e, and that's that this is a magicless system. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to get into that and a little bit about the Elder Tech. So can you tell me, how does that work? Like, what does this game look like with without magic? So without magic, we have really tried to focus into the other two pillars of uh, D&D, or at least the three like main pillars of um, a fifth edition. They're supposed to be like combat, exploration, and... Um... Oh, geez, combat, exploration. I can't remember what the third pillar was. Um, uh, it's combat, exploration, and isn't it travel? I think? Yes, travel, of course, because that those are all the three things that we focus. So we really kind of honed in on what we want out of that. There's not a lot of active healing in combat, but um, some of the classes might try to inspire each other, and that's how they give um, temporary uh, health to kind of like get through a blow, to shrug it off. Because we're very much of the opinion that uh, HP isn't really like a measure of how much blood you have left. It's really like you're just fighting spirit. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, if the, you know, the true believer in the cause is able to give a little bit of a rallying speech, that'll definitely help you, you know, shrug off another hit or two. Yeah. Um, so combat looks largely similar. Uh, the Elder Tech kind of takes the place of magic, and it's not exactly level-capped, but we strongly recommend like magic items that you don't give people you know, the uh, cannon of indestructibleness that blows up everyone by looking at it at level one. <laughs> uh, maybe save that for level two. Um, <laughs> we, uh, we've kind of rehashed how all the travel rules work, and especially add like more of a survivalistic... Um, uh, you can get into really into the nitty gritty of it if you want. With like, yeah. um, how much your horse is weighed down can affect your travel times if if you so choose for those rules. Mm-hmm. And uh, the weather might change. So we added weather rules, natural disasters, uh, navigation, yeah. and then uh, to kind of ham up the role play side, 
we added these things called that we call social encounters. That is kind of a um, way to manage a like tense social discussion that you have with someone. Like, you know, you, you get to the city, the gates are locked, the guards won't let you in. You could just roll a persuasion check to get in. Or you could do a social encounter where you have to go through things, um, maybe learn a little bit about the guard, find out like what uh, parts, uh, what like what uh, personality has, so it like mm-hmm. gets him. Uh, so you use the right approach to get in, rather than yeah. just the persuasion check. You might have to uh, flatter him because he's proud, or if he's really greedy, you might have to bribe him or offer him a favor. Where like you know you go clear out a monster outside of town that he was supposed to take care of, but hasn't. I think that is such a good way to handle that because I find that depending on your game master, your dungeon master, social encounters can be absolutely breezed through by, by a bard. Like Mm -hmm. let's just say it, your bard can just steamroll most social encounters or your paladin and just take it and run in Red Sky, I believe it's called the Wordsmith, is your your kind of your face character, right? Yes, the Wordsmith is our face character, and they're really just any person who would be good at talking. Uh, so they could you could play it like a bard if you still want one in the party. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they could be an entertainer, they could be a politician. Um, like I imagine uh, in the original Star, not the original, in the uh, prequel Star Wars series, Padme Amidala would be a uh, Wordsmith. That makes sense to me. While we're talking about the wordsmith too, there because there aren't that many classes. Do you want to go over the other four classes and how they may differ from what people are used to? Absolutely. So uh, the two that we brought back and they're reimagined and changed are fighter and rogue, uh, because we see those as kind of like the classes where you can um, they they kind of fit into any world really. You know, a fighter yeah. is someone who's just really experienced with combat, and we really wanted to make sure that like. This is the soldier class. This is the class that, like, your town guard would be, um, you know, the, the legionnaires of the human army. Uh, anyone you come across who's, like, that's their kind of niche. Uh, and rogue kind of fits that shifty scoundrel type person, you mm-hmm. know, in the same way. So those haven't changed too much. We've just reimagined how they progress to fit a 10th level world and a world with no magic. So we've given them some extra paths. Uh, to follow, like the uh, the con artist is a social encounter based rogue, would be one of the subclasses that we've made for this. Yeah, uh, the other four classes are all original. They're inspired by different things. The two that come across um, obviously is inspired are our emissary and our hunter. Uh, the emissary, yeah. um, I'm a paladin. My personal favorite. In, My in personal 5D. favorite is the emissary. I love the description for this thing. Oh, yes. They, they are someone who believes in something, and they are an agent of some cause, whether it be, you know, a literal agent of the country that they work for, the true believer in an ideology or a religion, or someone who just cares so deeply about something that they, their belief, like, rubs off on everyone else. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a big fan of that class myself, too. Um, and they're kind of like the... the they're, they're a little bit more like the leadery class, where... They have a lot of buffs that will um, help out their party. They're able to like call out tactics that like show that the party's had time like rehearsing different strategies, uh, and using those tactics will like give you a benefit or an edge in combat. Um, the hunter is a magicless reimagination of the ranger, but not in the same yeah. way as like a warden of the uh, of nature. More like a 
um, survivalist who just knows what it's take knows what it takes it's to like survive. Aragorn, in- right? Yeah, Aragorn. Uh, if he was, you know, taking down, if he soloed the troll, yeah, uh, in Moria. <laughs> um, one of our um, original ideas for uh, hunter that we wanted to have was the big game hunter. Uh, one of the species, and you know, not trying to get too into the weeds with them. The Wake Walkers. Uh, one of their cultures is based around hunting sea monsters. Uh, oh, so we wanted so to have cool. a class that, like, uh, yeah, they hunt sea monsters for their food. That's like their cult. That's their whole culture. Um, sometimes by literally diving inside of the theme- sea monster with a bomb. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, you know, it's it's the best. There's no armor in their stomach. No, uh, yeah, you're right. <laughs> so we wanted to have a class to really capture that. Um, and then after those two classes, uh, Sage and Wordsmith Sage is that like, we kind of wanted to have wizards in the game and, um, artificers in a way. So -hmm. these would be your people who are very well learned in something. Um, they might know a lot about history, medicine, elder tech. Um, they have an area of focus and they, they help the party with that. Uh, they do act as a bit of a healer because they, they did, um, they have a uh, salve abilities where mm. they um, can give buffs, whether it be like bonuses to your characteristics, temporary yeah. HP, um, stuff like that. Uh, help These you get over engineers, the- right? Like- yeah. You're, you're engineers, but also could be like a medicine person if that's what you're looking for as well. Or, okay. um, or even like a poisoner, like a, like an alchemist. That's so cool. I'm really then, into that. <laughs> and then wordsmith, like I said, is like anyone who's just really good at talking as their job. Um, they, uh, they'll, they'll be like the leaders in all of the um, social encounters that you have. Cause they just get mm-hmm. bonuses to doing that. That's our primary thing. And this is the class yeah. that we really wanted to see shine with it. So like I said, Padme would be a, a wordsmith. Whereas, um, trying to think of a good character who'd be a sage probably more like q uh in the uh james bond movies oh okay. you know, coming up with yeah. all the gear they would be like yeah. the keeper of elder tech um where you know james bond would be a rogue <laughs> yes yes he would <laughs> so we touched on one of them already a little bit the wake walkers oh Can yes. you tell me about the species because yes. these these shine so much. You guys at Solar Studios, you did my favorite thing with the the spore spawn. I really dig them, but I think that people will be really interested in the species and kind of how they function. Absolutely. So uh, the 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 species or sentience, as we call them, I misspoke earlier. Um, the, they're the sentient species of Demma, the six sentient species, and each of them, uh, each of their cultures, are supposed to embody one part of the elements that I kind of touched on earlier. Um, and they're all on uh, axes. So uh, one will oppose the other. Mm-hmm. So starting off with humans, for example, humans um, in this world embody the element of aether, which is like the community communalist uh, one. Um, and none of these vices or virtues or not vices or virtues um, elements uh, are supposed to be better than the others. It really comes down to your opinion. They just have their own vices and virtues which we did include in the character creation to kind of help guide mm-hmm. you to know what it's like to live with these ide- ideologies. Yeah. Uh, so the humans have banded together or they do at some point. Cause we cover, I think over like 200 years of history in the world. Um, so if you wanted to play in a couple different eras, we have options for that. 
But for yeah. most of that time, humans are in an empire called the Solar Hegemony, where they worship the sun and they think that it is their sun God-given right to rule over the entirety of the inside of the world ship. Uh, and it's given to them by the sun that does not move in the sky. Uh, so th- to the opposite of that uh, would be void, which is kind of like individ- individualistic freedom and the species and kind of like the rival of humans are the night riders uh, who live on the dark side of the world. Cause as I said, the sun is always fixed in its spot in the sky. Uh, they kind of uh, embody a bunch of different nomadic cultures. We were inspired by uh, kind of like, not only just like the Mongolians come to mind, cause of course they ride uh, their uh, alien horses called verses, but also like Celtic, and Viking um, mythologies, yeah. Because um, while while we are a uh, you know multi ethnic team, we do try to like respect every culture that we integrate into it. Uh, you know, it's mm-hmm. not one to one. So no. uh, and each of these species have multiple cultures of their own. Uh, like there are four different tribes of night riders that you could be from, all with their own take on what the void philosophy means. Yeah. So, um, like one is uh, called the Free Steeds. They're really like the the hardliners of the culture where they, you know, wander the plains that they live on following the moon that all the night riders worship, you know, because they're kind of like the opposite of humans. They worship the moon, humans worship the, the sun. Um, whereas there, there is a, like, sect of night riders who live off in the most um, hardiest, frozen, coldest part of the nightlands, uh, where they, you know, hunt monsters, kind of like wake walkers, uh, mm-hmm. as, a pro- as a showing of their individual strength and ability to take care of themselves and provide for their communities. So those, so that's the that one axe. Uh, Wake walkers, as I've mentioned, because they keep coming up uh, because we love them so much. They're they're so handy and great. <laughs> they're so cool. Uh, they represent the element of fire, which is like kind of like hedonism. Like you know, we're gonna live a we're gonna live a short life, but it is gonna be a damn good one. Um, <laughs> they are our biggest race by far. They stand at like seven feet tall, towering over everyone. Uh, where humans and night riders are about the same size. Um, these like they're they're fish uh, folk, um, not exactly fish. They don't like breathe underwater. And so all these like species shark are people. Yeah, they're they're shark people is the best way of describing them. Um, yeah, they they are loud and proud about whatever they believe in, whatever they um, about their deeds. Um, there's three main cultures for them. Uh, they have a the sea hunt the sea monster hunting culture. They have one that worships a god who lives underneath their island, uh, who's kind of like. Cthulhu based, but he does really care <laughs> about his people. Um, he's called the uh, the Terminarch, so he has his uh, cult off there. And then there's the Janahaki pirates, who are kind of like the people who were too hardcore for either of the two other clans, got oh. kicked out and joined uh, Clan Janahaki, <laughs> became pirates, and do literally whatever they want. Um, just as long as you're strong enough to make it happen, that's that's their whole vibe. Um, the opposite of the wake walkers are the archivists who live in the frozen, um, cold plateau part of the world. Uh, and they're, uh, they embody water, which is kind of like the element of self-control and stoicism. So kind mm-hmm. of that balance. And they have so much control over themselves. They can actually control their metabolism that allows them to enter like flow states or hibernation states where, um, you know, their skin like literally turns like red with heat from them um or orange with heat uh from making their metabolism burn a lot faster so they can like quickly take you down in a series of very precise blows and then they can cool themselves off and like go into hibernation while uh you know you wait for uh the doctor to come to fix up their wounds from doing that uh and then the other um set of binaries we talked about the spore spawn a little bit they embody the element of earth which is basically like 
very hard, rational, objective thought where everything mm-hmm. has to be categorized and all of that. And they uh, originally all came from a hive mind where an organic su- supercomputer was involved and used uh, to help like make them all think as one kind of like the Borg type thing. Yeah. Um, but also like ants at the same time, because ants are a, um, I don't know if a hive mind's the right word for them, but they communicate in a different way than we'd understand. Yeah. Eventually the hive mind split and now there's uh, three splinter hives. Uh, one that's kind of like the remnant of the hive mind that wants to bring everyone back in. And two that very much like being independent from the hive mind and have different takes on it. Uh, my favorite are the, um, uh, the free spawn of Rakala. We, we change the names around so much. I call them by the old names all the time. That's fair. Uh, the free spawns of our Urkala are my favorite. Uh, they are um, so all of the different subcultures of the species uh, have a hybrid thing. So these are Earth Void. So they carry much a lot about their individual freedom. You know, being free from the hive mind, being you know that type of person, and they might get along yeah. a little bit more with Wake Walker, uh, not Wake Walkers, with um, Night Riders than say an Earth Aether that would probably get a little bit more along with a human because most human cultures are, are Aether. Mm-hmm. Um, so they they are uh, they're also like the top uh, the free spawn specifically are like kind of like the top scientists of the world. They kind of go back and forth where the um, archivists worship Elder Tech, the uh, spore spawn uh, the free the the free spawn of Arcala, or not Arcala. I'm sorry, I'm calling it by its old name again. <laughs> uh, of, of, of a kish, it's a kish. Uh, all the names for uh, spore spawn share a vowel, so like. Akish ah. is spelled with only eyes. There's one city called Unrule. It's all uh, U's, and then Tohol. It's all O's. Um. So the the free spawn of Akish, they have some of the most brilliant minds. They do this thing called reality consensus, where they um, use their ability to like they're kind of like vestigial body parts from being a part of a hive mind to yeah. like mind meld with each other and have debates and share research like super fast, and they can like choose to go in and out of it. Mm-hmm. So it's allowed them to progress their technology despite being one of the youngest um, cultures out of all of them because they had to get freed from the uh, the hive mind. And then the yeah. last culture, the opposite, is the feather folk. Um, they are bird people. They are any bird that you want them to be. And it doesn't I matter what them. kind of birds your parents are because they always change regardless because they are the element air, which is all about change, intuition, um, it, the opposite of earth. Um, they, they, I mean, I love all these cultures. They're great. Um, they have such fun, like things for them. Like, uh, the red desert is in the, the, the feather folks territory. So yeah. you'll be seeing a lot of them there. And, um, they have, um, they're very free flowing. They do things very differently from everyone else. Um, you know, they have a different amount of fingers than everyone else too. They've got their, their bird claws. Um, they're, they're they're probably the most alien short of the uh, the spore spawn just because these are mm-hmm. axes that you know we kind of all keep a balance in. Um, <laughs> it has one of my favorite characters who's a villain. Um, his name's Philo Ya. He is the uh, the master of this city called uh, the Oric, which is an island in the middle of an ocean, and they kind of like contr- bully people to control trade routes. Um, and he is just this like conniving evil mastermind who like sets people off by like saying word smart words wrong and doing like all those classic, like, I think I'm so smart, but I'm actually not. <laughs> um, we have plenty of jokes about him. He's great. Um, but yeah, the, the, the feather folk are also the in-game people who came up with the elements in that world. Cause they're kind of like a lot of the leading philosophers on just general ideas. Uh, okay. 
But th- that being said, with the cultures and the elements, anyone can be have any elements that they want. You know, just because you're human doesn't mean you have to be Aether. I love just the the player choices for this. Like the feather folk are so colorful and different and unique. And like I said, I'm a huge sucker for bug people. Mm-hmm. Spore spawn, love them. And just the art, like I said, I can't get over this art. It's so good, and there there's so much built up in the lore. And I really do want to dive into the lore really soon, but I think it's important because we've touched on it a lot. Let's talk about the elemental alignments and how, how that lists out and what it looks like. Yeah. So the elements, like I mentioned previously, they have three axes. And um, so you'll always get a choice to choose up to three elements. Uh, If you, if you want to really just embody one element, that's totally fine. Um, But uh, we, we give you the option to take up to three and, um, they have they serve both a flavor and mechanical um, option in the game. So mechanically, they'll give you uh, some ability score modifiers. They'll give you a feat, and they'll um, give you some like um, guiding principles on how to play your character. Yeah, uh, like I said previously. So the six elements, as I've mentioned previously, are fire, water, earth, air, aether, and void. And uh, those are the three dichotomies of wealth. Uh, fire and water is like the emotional spectrum. Like how much do you think you should um, emotionally regulate yourself? Should you give into your emotions a lot more? Live a life that's very true and genuine, even if that's not necessarily the most controlled life? Or should you live a wholly controlled life where you don't let your emotions rule you in any way and you are the master of yourself? Um, now, the, those are obviously the most extreme people fall in between there. Yeah. Um, but like whatever you lean towards would probably be a good place to pick it. Um, and we have uh, vices and virtues for both, like I've mentioned, um, mm-hmm. which is kind of like the same things that you'd see in the table for like the backgrounds and try, trying to pick, pick you like your um, your bonds, your flaws in 5e. Yeah. So, for example, a fire, you know, if you rolled a one, they're all d8s. Uh, we love d8s uh, would be. <laughs> Uh, I live in the present and cherish life's simple pleasures, where the first vice would be, I overindulge in pleasures and find it difficult to delay gratification. Ah, uh, okay. Uh, whereas water, the first one's the virtue would be, I know how to make sacrifices in the present for my long-term well-being. And the the vice would be, I am too often preoccupied to appreciate even, uh, to appreciate or even notice the simple joys of life. So, uh, you know, you're so in your head and so controlled that you might not even notice. Um, the next axis is more of like a, um, an epistemological axis. Like what type of information do you value? Um, so air and earth are the opposites there. Air is much more intuition. You're kind of coming up with ideas. You really value being really versatile and not necessarily doing the same way every time where mm-hmm. earth is like you think in the scientific method. Um, <laughs> you are only worrying about what you can prove, what you can write down and improve, uh, what you're working on. Um, it's all about improvement. Yeah. So, um, and then uh, void and aether is the like social axis of this um, moral philosophy. Like, what's more important? You know, being free, being able to do whatever you want, being able to celebrate yourself, or to work within a team, be a part of a community, and you know, be a part of a culture. Um, and as I've said, all of these are there is no good or bad. Like. Aether isn't the bad guy element. Void isn't the good guy element. Um, even though there are bad guys who happen to be Aether, there are bad guys of every uh, element, just as there are good guys of every element, too. Yeah. Um, 
you know, you can you uh, we, we we play this game a little bit where we will try to put um, famous characters into our alignment system uh, and see where they would fit. So, um, no, I can understand that though. Like you yeah, look we have at a whole this article thing, on it. Yeah, even the uh, the layout on the Kickstarter does a really good job at showing off how how to visualize it first of all because you have each of them on opposite ends of the spectrum and then there's like the emotional one for instance it says discipline self-mastery mindfulness and then in red it says that judgment might be an issue there whereas Mm -hmm. in fire there there's passion ambition pleasure but too much it's excess so like it, it makes sense it just clicks in really really well i love the aesthetic of it i think it's a it's a cleaner way to build out those character flaws than the classic alignment system. Yeah. Rather than I'm good or I'm evil. Like, what does that really even mean? Like what's good in one culture and what's good uh, evil in another. Exactly. Um, whereas, you know, you kind of have an, a general idea of what um, objective as, as someone who's really an objective person would be. Yeah. Uh, and someone who's a bit of a hedonist like that doesn't really change terribly much between cultures. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or somebody we just decide ex- if it's good or bad. Exactly, somebody who's excessively rigid in their ways isn't going to change in one situation compared to another. Yeah. So, uh, so it's really like what cult, like what would you, um, what type of person do you want your character to be? Is our main idea for it. Um, mm-hmm. And as I said, you know, you can have up to three. You get, you can't pick two of the same axis uh, because they're, you know opposite each other yeah but um you know you could be fire earth aether you could be water air void you could be water and earth if you don't really have a decision on the you know social axis um you know you don't have to pick a side in it too you could be neutral and like i said those character options obviously with people who are playing in 5e they really like those character options and stuff and i think that the way that red sky handles it with the character options where to, to some people, originally looking at it, when like you see a, that thing, it might seem like there's not that much. But we do have to remember that there's a bunch of choices under each of those categories. Absolutely, yeah. We wanted to have so much choice at the beginning because we do kind of take it away by only giving you 10 levels on character builds. So we wanted you to be able to make you know whoever you want in this world and there will be a place for them there. Um. You know, there's obviously like things we don't support, you know, in the real world that we like, you wouldn't be able to make a slaver character. That's not allowed. Um, and, and I'm saying that as a designer. I mean, obviously yeah. you could, but I, I'd say no. Um, yeah, piss off. Don't touch this game. <laughs> yeah, don't touch this game. I don't want you here if you want to play that. But, you know, if you want to play a, an evil mastermind who like is trying to undermine and overthrow an empire, there's a spot for you there just as much if you want to be. A, a hunter who lives in the jungle and just kind of goes around exploring places and doesn't really care too much about the outside world. Like there is space for pretty much any character concept. I think that's always a sign of a really well-designed game though. If you can fit that in mechanically, it just, it adds a layer that just makes it so much nicer. And I think that it also helps add you into the world of the game. Speaking of that, though, I know that you you talked to me a little bit about it before we actually got into the the recording. This game has a huge lore, like an absolutely massive amount of lore. And we touched a little bit about the overseers and looking at it. But 
where are player characters? If we go with like, let's say like the, the default typical Red Sky setting, who is the player character in the world of Red Sky? So um, the player character could really be anyone, but if we have an ideal type of a character where we've uh, we've come up with this like adventurers bar where mercenary adventurers, you know, people who kind of live on the edge of society and want to do, you know, strange jobs, do go to strange places, kill strange monsters, uh, go uh, at the city at the center of the world called Mundi. And the, uh, the name of the, this bar is called the Jade Feather. It's also uh, one of the areas on our discord server. Yes. Um, I saw that. <laughs> and it's a, and it's supposed to be a place where uh, these adventuring characters can come together and tell their stories and find new jobs as they like, uh, have, have you played cyberpunk by chance? Uh, I've played the tabletop game. Okay, so you haven't played the video game, uh, but you no. know about the afterlife, right? Yeah, yeah, I know about the it's. Afterlife. It's supposed to be like the afterlife. Bar. Okay, yeah. Um, but you know, you could be an agent working for anywhere, and you know, for whatever reason, led you to there. Is that? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's going to be like some of the grounding points for some of the adventures that we're writing. You know, like oh, you got this contract from the Jade Feather. You know, you can decide if whether you knew each other from the beginning of that, or you know, you're all meeting up on a mysterious contract you all heard about. Yeah, from there. Um, and yeah, the, the player characters, um, are going to be living kind of on the edge of the world, uh, not on the physical edge. Cause it is, does it is a ship that, that has is, walls, yeah. but going to the dangerous <laughs> places of the world, you know, going out into the wilderness and hunting the monsters that, uh, you know, the, the city, uh, the city mayors don't want coming into their cities or yeah. flushing monsters out of the sewer or unraveling a, a scheme, um, by a general to start a war or, um, hunting down a precious uh, elder tech artifact that might be in Philo Yaz vault. <laughs> yeah, we, we wanted to make sure that people um, were still like in the same spot of like, what is an adventurer in D and D? Like they're, they're not necessarily the hero, but they're someone who goes out and does cool things. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't have to be the good guy um, to go do these things. We just hope that you get to have interesting stories and explore a, interesting world and also add your own things to it too. We, we did leave plenty of gaps in the world of what some things look like because we want players to be able to put their own spin on it because uh, we have this option in there um, called the simulacrum, which is basically the overseers look at the recording of the world and mess with it in a computer simulation. So if you want to kill the emperor of humanity, even though in the mainline story, he is going to be, you know, a character up until he has his pre-planned death. Um, you know, you could be a simulacrum instance where you're a simulation that, you know, you're the characters who kill them and see what happens. Um, so, you know, our, even though we have this deep lore that I could go on and on about for hours and we did for 200 pages, um, (laughs) you know, we could, um, you, you can do whatever you want with it. Uh, we, we really designed this game lore included to be plug and play where, you know, if you just want to buy the book to get, um, you know, get all the sentient species to add to, you know, your, your, your world. Like so many people do with say like the official 5e materials that I know I've done a million times. Um, (laughs) That's totally an option. Or if you really like the social encounter system, you could plug that into a world with magic. There's no rule saying you can't, Um, you know, we, we want this to be as, as customizable as possible for people. You know, we would definitely like if people played it the way that we wrote it, because, you know, we put a lot of work into that. And, and we do think it's fun. We've heard, we've heard some great things from people who've tried, playing it both ways, um, testing it that way. And, you know, um, 
yeah. Sorry, not to not to ramble too much, but uh, no, ramble, please. <laughs> this game's this game's really rad. I like how you have all made a way to make every single character, every single table, theoretically canonical to the story. Absolutely. I, I, my, my dream with this is to be able to, you know, incorporate more like player made stuff into the world, like have some like showcases where it could be like, oh, these people came up with these subclasses, you know, we're not going to print them mm-hmm. in the book. But if you want to play with these subclasses, here's a here's ones that we've said are really well designed. Maybe we've tweaked them a tiny bit to help them yeah. fit better with the mechanics. Uh, or here's like a fan list of monsters that work in the world. Uh, we have one monster specifically called a Bilac that's kind of this uh, three-legged insect um, that shows up everywhere, and they regionally change. Uh, they're kind of like our slimes, except a lot d- deadlier and pointier. Um, where, like, there's the de- the, the regular Bilac, um, but there are three different types of Bilac in the Into the Shieldwoods uh, module. Uh, where there's one for the mountain that you have to cross at some point, or could cross, you don't have to, because it's open yeah. world. And there's one that lives in snowbanks that is kind of like an ambush predator. So there's the snow bilac, the mountain bilac, and a regular bilac. Um, I think I've come up with like 12 at this point that are just in various <laughs> notes across stuff. They're not all in the book yet, but you know, uh, it, it's fun seeing what ideas people come up with. Yeah. Are bilacs the ones that uh, are on the cover of Red Sky there? Is that, is uh, that an example of them? Or are those uh, just terrifying spiders? Uh, those, I believe are terrifying spiders because Bilacs have three legs. Uh, no, they they, they are, they are Bilacs. Those are just their front claws. Uh, we actually have a picture of a Bilac in our, uh, creatures and combatants table, uh, a section of our book. And they are just scrolling down. We have a picture of what a jungle Bilac looks like, uh, because there's a regular Bilac somewhere else, which Mm -hmm. jungle Bilac, just a green Bilac with poison. (laughs) <laughs> uh, so you can see their general like body type. Uh, they technically have seven limbs, but they have three main walking limbs. Gotcha. Okay. So, Ken, I think it's really important that we we kind of touch on this, especially with the current 5e climate. And I just wanted to help reassure fans of Red Sky that you guys are working with stuff. So obviously 5e compatibility and the open gaming license. For those of you who don't know, Wizards dropped the ball, and it's screwing over a lot of third-party creators. Do you want to talk on this just a little bit, Ken? Just like tell people what, like, yeah, what Solar Studios is doing. Like, what's what's the game plan with Red Sky? Yeah, so so us at Solar Studios, you know, this is a very big, um, you know, th- this is our first project that we have, and we care very much about the Red Sky IP. We want to take it to many different places. We already have a board game in the works. Um, uh, for for playing uh, like strategy games with Red Sky, if that's what mm-hmm. you're interested in, and we want to see it grow into whatever we want uh, to do with it. But we very much care about the Five E and the TTRPG world about it. You know, I'm a big Five um, E person. I've been playing D and D, I think like since I was 13 years old, and my my parents were both big nerds. Um, so I grew up <laughs> looking at the three five books. Uh, so. We, we definitely want to continue our promises that we've made as long as they're feasible. Like, you know, as long as we don't have to sign away our IP to, to Wizards, we're still yep. going to try to make our 5e content. Um, we're definitely exploring our options of what we can do. You know, I know Paizo and Cobalt Press and Chaosium and a couple other companies are getting together with the with the Orc, I think it was, the Open yeah, Rules the Orc. Creative. 
Yeah. Orc um, versus the wizard is what I've been hearing a whole bunch lately. Yeah. I've been seeing it all over Twitter. So, <laughs> you know, as long as we can make, keep making stuff in five E and continue to support it, we will. Um, because, you know, this is a huge, this was a huge undertaking for us. Um, you know, I, we've been working on this part of it specifically, I believe for three years now. Um, so, uh, we, we definitely don't want to just toss it out. Uh, we will still continue to support it. And if we transition over to another system, you know, our backers and everyone who's, you know, in the Red Sky community already will know and we will keep everyone informed along the way. But up in until uh, up to then and, you know, hopefully, uh, you know, yeah, hopefully we'll be able to keep doing it. We'll keep making stuff for 5e. Like I've said, we have uh, nine modules planned uh, for that, you know, just coming off of the uh, the Kickstarter. So mm-hmm. we, we've got a commitment to make those. And as long as we are allowed to, I, I will be writing every single one of them. So awesome. I'm glad to hear that. I wanted to touch on something there that you brought up right at the beginning there about the IP board games and through the rumor mill, I've heard the possibility of novels. Is there there is a novel can... out. Oh, uh, the is novel there? actually just released not too long ago uh, by our lead writer, Tyler. Holy hell. Um, okay. I was going to ask if you could give us any little tidbits, but if it's actually absolutely. out, can you tell um, me about that? Because this is what I wanted to get my hands on as my first piece of Red Sky Media. Absolutely. Uh, so the novel is called Arise. It is part one of, I believe, a three book series. Don't quote me on that, though. Um, I'm sure there's plenty of space for more and more books, but it is <laughs> it follows um, the story of a very famous Knight Rider character who you can actually see in our book. Uh, called Jane Arendera. Uh, I don't want to give away too much about her because, you know, finding out about her heritage and what she does is the main part of the story. Yeah. But it is uh, it is kind of like your, your, a bit of a, your classic uh, fantasy story of standing up to the evil empire um, and trying to lead a resistance against um, the humans who are trying to take over the world at this point. Uh, but this story isn't just from her perspective. We do uh, get some cutaways and see what some of the other characters are thinking. Um, you know, some, some of the humans on the opposing side, like what's going on over there. Uh, yeah. It, but it has a wonderful story. I had, I had the, the privilege of getting to be one of the first people to read the novel. Cause uh, my co-writer Tyler and I, um, you know, while I was coming up with ideas for lore, um, he was uh, writing like, fervently on the books uh i think book two is actually getting close to being done so hopefully we'll have that out oh, before wow. um you know i don't i don't want to underplay the, the part that anyone played in this project you know tyler is listed as the lead writer because he wrote pretty much every single word in this book even if it came from someone else's like you know my notes that are spilled out yeah. everywhere he was able to get them into a uh he organized a working them. order uh yeah. and uh brandon did a lot of the design stuff uh, I did most of the monsters and the um, elder tech, um, but he he is kind of like the, the the spearhead for like how the classes work, how social uh, how the social interactions and social combat works. Um, you know that is, that is his baby of it. You know, while we work very closely on it, you know, I don't want to underplay all the work that he did into that. No, of course not. I just have my fingers in all the pots. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, Matt directed the art. He did, he did a lot of these pieces. Um, but we also had the benefit of working with some amazing artists who we, we credit in our, um, in various places throughout the book. Um, I don't, I don't have the list on off the top of my head, but, but 
um, yeah, we have plenty of the the, the author, the illustrators in uh, the credit section on the third page on the PDF. Um, and everyone who who uh, all of our overseer backers are in the uh, the book as well. So, I love it. You guys did such a good job about building a community up and focusing around this game. You've made something that distinctly feels very different from fifth edition using its core mechanics. And I, I said it before, it very much does remind me of when Pathfinder came out of 3.5. So I, I hope just like, I hope to continue seeing red sky growing because it's such an interesting world and it's so cool. And I got to get my hands on that novel because it's like I said, it's something I can, dig deep down into it. I'm excited about it. It is a great read too. Uh, I don't need to toot Tyler's <laughs> horn, but you know, we, we, we have a, a very talented team of people who've been working for, uh, who've been working with us. And, you know, also I haven't mentioned his name enough. I just want to make sure everyone gets their, their praises. Alex, you know, a lot of this was his, his dream uh, yeah. coming out of um, him and Tyler living together in the same uh, dorm room at college. <laughs> so all of this would not have been possible without him. It's, you know what, though, like, I'm so glad to hear that. You don't hear about too many, like, college folks going together and all coming together and sticking with it. That's the bigger thing. Like, you'll get little things made up together. I'm pretty sure that that's how Lancer came to be, was through two college students working together. And that game's super rad. If this is half as good as that, like, I'm pumped to see pumped to see what that happens with Ken. we're getting close to the end of our time here though so i got a couple more questions for you if that's all right absolutely so before we like kind of start to wrap up same question i ask at the end of every episode what advice can you give to small creators looking to start their own projects but they don't really know where to start so uh the, the first piece of advice i'd give to any creator comes to me from a close friend of mine who uh ran away to europe to be an artist <laughs> um, uh, it's okay. He's European. So, you know, he, he could go, he, he could get that, that good, uh, tuition. Um, oh, but he yeah, told me fair. that creativity, and I'm sure he stole this from someone too. Uh, creativity is just stealing from people so hard that they don't notice when you steal from them. And, uh, what I mean by that is take a look at everything that you love when you're making things, you know, we're all big fans of sci-fi and fantasy. We love star Wars, mass effect, a Lord of the Rings, um, Burning Wheel, uh, Disc World, you know, and we we and uh, Ring World, we try to take all of the elements that we loved, figure out what it is that we like of it, and we want to see it in our world. So, you know, if we want laser swords because we really love that aspect of Star Star Wars, we're going to find a way for laser swords to work into our world. Uh, <laughs> if we like space opera of Mass Effect, we're going to try to find a way to get that feel of that into there. And there's nothing wrong with like emulating what you love. Don't steal it wholeheartedly take what you like from it and make it your own. Um, and you, cause you know, always follow your passion with it. Don't make something yeah. just cause you think it's going to sell. Um, you know, making money is obviously nice. Um, but being able to like genuinely put that passion there. Like, I don't think I could have been working on this project for three years without like really just loving the work that I've done. Oh God, no. Uh, so definitely follow your passion with it. And uh, my other piece of advice that I would give is find at least one person who you can work with just to keep you accountable. 
I am someone who has been trying to design a game since I was 13 years old when I started playing Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, and this is by far the most uh, far I've gotten on a project. And, you know, just being able to work with these people has gotten me in a mindset that I know what I can and can't do now. So I know who to lean on. Um, and just to have people to like constantly like, not necessarily hype me up, but just remind me like, hey, look, like you've made like we all, we did this all together just as much as, you know, wouldn't be possible for you to do it without us. We couldn't have done it without you. So yeah. just having like a partner, a, a co-creator, even if it's just like someone you like to bounce your ideas off of, um, you know, that social support is so important to these projects because it can be really mm-hmm. isolating when you're just, you know, staying up to 3 a.m. every night working on a project that you don't necessarily show anyone because everything that you do creatively all leads back to what it is. Like I am working on another game um, right now. It's just kind of a pet project. And whenever I try out an idea in there, I'm like, oh, wait, this would be really cool for the module that I'm writing right now. Let me find a way to put this back into 5e <laughs> rather than this system over here. And it will go vice versa. I try to keep my like options open and work on like two or three things at a time just to keep my creativity going. So I don't get like bogged down in one aspect of like, I really need to think of 30 names for these monsters that I have mechanics for. Like, I'll just go and take a walk and I'll be like, um, uh, Schmerton sounds like a good name. These monsters are Schmertons. <laughs> and, you know, like, oh, I, I'm reading, um, I'm reading Discworld right now. You know, maybe I might get an idea from that and mess with the letters a bit. Or uh, I'm a bit of a linguistics person. Um, that's how Tyler and I got to know each other, was mm-hmm. taking this class on um, inventing languages. So oh, I'll cool. play, I'll, I'll like, uh, like say I'm trying to come up with a Knight Rider name, I might mash together some words from the cultures that the Knight Riders are based off of. So it keeps the same sound going. Yeah. I'm super into it. That's such good advice, both of them. I think that working in a team is always beneficial on on big projects. I know that early schedule for launch had me referencing people a lot because I wasn't quite confident in my abilities. And it wasn't until that I had a steady listener base that it actually became something that I could, like I really committed to. So I get that. Like I totally understand. And it's, it's great that you all at solar studios have done this and you're even growing. And that's what, what's even cooler. It's like, you're growing your team. Yeah. And it's, it's been something great to like grow as a person with it too. Like I've said, I've been doing this for, like four or five years now. Cause I started working with the team. Uh, Cause I'm the youngest guy on the team yeah. uh, while I was in college. And I've gotten to like follow it through as I become, you know, an adult on my own, you know, changing careers, going back to school. Uh, all of that is in there just as much as, um, you know, all the other work that we've done, you know, we, we've um, it, the, the reason it took so long is in part because it's all of our second jobs, but it's our passion project that we really want to see, be more than just a passion project. We want it to get as big as we can with it. You know, we're not expecting to be the next uh, Paizo or, you know, heaven forbid wizards of the coast. Not that anyone wants to be them right now. (laughs) Uh, But, you know, we, we definitely want to, you know, be able to like follow our dream, just like all the other creators do. And we're just so happy and thankful to be where we are now and running around with like chickens without our heads sometimes trying to make sure that we can keep going the next step of the way. Yeah, you're wanting to reach an audience. and Absolutely. We have a very lovely group of people on yeah. Discord who have been with us through so much of the process already <laughs> since we started doing the um, 
the test the tests of the game and everything and have been so patient with us because sometimes we will just forget to update yeah. <laughs> after a little while because oh, we're just so happens. caught up with the <laughs> the just the the actual getting the books uh yeah there like the 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 deadline for us to get the book together was such a mad scramble just to make sure we had everything we were checking rechecking sending it out to to editors checking the edits from the editors trying to get everything fixed to send to more editors um but then it was so great to finally have it out there because like wow it's real this pdf is the permanent version of what this is going to be forever and people saw it and liked it so So you can find out more about me, Ken, uh, either at my Twitter, which is uh, main underscore neth, that is M-A-N-E underscore N-E-T-H, or squid.the.dude on TikTok. Um, I make a lot of uh, tabletop uh, content over there. Um, whereas to find out more about our team and about Red Sky, that is at solar-studios.com, S-O-L-A-R-S-T-U-D-I-O-S.com. Uh, we have a blog about um, some of the design notes, some of the different things. Like we have a little bit of bonus content over there, um, character profiles on important people in the world. Uh, we have access to our store where we have uh, the we have the physical copy of both the Red Sky Core book and Arise, which should be shipping uh, next month. Um, pins for the elements and uh, PDFs of everything I've discussed so far, including that module into the Shieldwoods. We're also on Facebook, uh, Twitter. Um, and Instagram as uh, Solar Studios or Solar Studios Dev. As always, audience, those links are going to be down in the description below. Go check out Solar Studios. Go check out Red Sky. Check out Ken's stuff, too, because Ken's got a lot of fun things going on there as well. Ken, thank you so much for joining me this week on the show. It was it was fucking rad, man. I love this. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Zach. Oh, no problem. And audience, thank you so much for joining us. Ken Solar Studios and Red Sky are scheduled to launch real soon. Go pick up the book. Like, go pick this thing up. Get ready for it. It looks so exciting. Until next time, though, take care of yourselves, and I'll see you on the next one. Bye. Thank you so much to Ken for joining me on the show this week. Red Sky is arguably one of the best 5th edition integrated games that I've had the pleasure of looking into, and if you're looking for something that's a little more tactical and lower on magic, this might be the game for you. If you'd like, you can get the game on Solar Studios' site, which is in the description below. And thank you, audience, once again. The switch to the new podcast host was a way smoother experience than I expected, and I really appreciated it, and I loved your patience, so thank you so much for all of that. There are some more options for monetization and being able to donate to the show, so if that's something you're interested in, let me know and I may explore that deeper. If you like the show and you want to hear more though, please share it with a friend as word of mouth is the only way that I get this ball rolling. That's everything from me for this week though, so take care of yourselves and I hope to see you somewhere out there.